This morning, we're going to take a break from the book of Exodus. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. As I've been thinking about uh, Exodus and what God's calling his people to be, particularly Exodus 19, uh, where the Lord tells his people that if they will indeed obey his voice and keep his covenant, they will be to him a treasured possession, and that they would be to him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I just want to continue to encourage us as a congregation in what it looks like for us to be that reflection of what God is calling us to be in this world, his priests, his holy nation. Indeed, Revelation chapter 1 captures that same idea when it tells us that the Lord Jesus has freed us from our sins and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Romans 15, beginning at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, as we all now sit under the authority of your word, we pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would do that work in us, that you would shape us form us into the image of your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, let the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts, now be acceptable in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine a community where former enemies were taught to lay down their weapons that they used to destroy each other and instead work to serve one another. Imagine, if you will, a community where people no longer stole from each other, but worked with their hands to provide for one another. Imagine a community where forgiveness reigned when relationships broke down. Imagine a community where people found acceptance rather than rejection and isolation. Imagine, if you will, a, a community where 
The poor and needy were not on the margins, but at the center of the care and love of the body. Imagine a community where the gifts of men and women were both recognized and exercised in unity in the body. Imagine, if you will, a community where young and old and rich and poor and immigrant and native-born, male and female, child and adult, were learning to walk in love with one another. A community like that would be the hope of the nations. It would be a community that fed the longing of the hearts of, every, of people in every city and town and village of the world. And it may sound to you, as you sit here this morning, like a dream, something unattainable. Yet it is no fairy tale. It is not a dream, and it is not an imaginary picture, even though I use the word imagine. This is, in point of fact, the community, the very community, that was being called together under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is the hope of the nations, not simply because he delivers individuals from the nations into relationship with himself, but because he draws those nations together in a worldwide family of believers who in their local churches and their connections with brothers and sisters around the world are learning how to live in the ways I just described. I want to suggest to you that when Paul talks about the hope that the Scriptures provide to us in verse 4, it is a hope that is intimately tied to the church living in care and patience and acceptance of one another following their Lord's example. It, it is intimately tied to the way we as a community treat one another. The hope of the gospel, the hope that tells us that now in Jesus everything has been set right between us and God also tells us that everything has been set right in our relationship with each other. What remains then is our learning to live that out in our relationships, in the here and now, while we wait for Jesus to return and make it all right. Our, our hope personally is Jesus, but our hope corporately is also Jesus. Jesus teaching us how to live in relationship to one another the way he's called us to. Indeed, if you, if you feel hopeless today, it may not simply be because things are out of whack with you and God, but because they are out of whack with you and others. Hope flourishes not only when I'm good with God, but when I'm good with you. And when we are not good with each other, hope is diminished among us, just like it is when we are not in a good place with God. In a very real sense, Paul is saying to these Christians, Jew and Gentile, that if you want to abound in hope as a community, part of that is rooted in living like Jesus in your relationships with each other. Our relationships internally should produce hope in us, not because we are sinless and perfect, but because in Jesus we are learning how to walk in that care and patience and acceptance with one another. And when people look at us from the outside, they should say, that is a place 
where people care about each other. That is a place where people are patient with each other. That is a place where people accept one another. That is a place of hope. A place of hope. This is what Isaiah was prophesying about when he said, and many people shall come and say, Isaiah 2, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and they and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We always say we want people to know Jesus, and we want them to love Jesus. But if we want them to know him and love him, then we have to act like Jesus in our relationships with each other. Amen, people of God. So what does it look like to be a community of hope? Paul has been discussing the relationship between weaker and stronger believers in the body in chapter 14. He's urging uh, uh, both to love and mutual consideration of each other in the Lord. And the terms weak and strong in this text are not referring to character or or physical infirmities, but to one's faith, uh, particularly as it relates to eating and drinking and observing special days. In this case, the one who recognizes that everything and every day belongs to God, the same, and eats and drinks and esteems all days alike is considered strong. They are strong because their faith enables them to see and act in accordance with the basic truth that everything and every day belongs to God alike. As a side note, I would advise most of you to, operate on the, uh, to not operate on the basis of this principle as it relates to your anniversaries and your birthdays or whatnot, unless you and your spouse have agreed to such practices. Considering yourself as the stronger person in that regard might not go down too well in your relationships. Being strong might land you in trouble in such cases is all I'm saying. But the weak in this text, though, are those whose faith is weak only in the sense that they are holding on to superstitions around eating and drinking and the esteeming of days that are not rooted in the new covenant which rendered all ceremonial aspects of the law null and void. Their faith isn't weak in every area, but primarily and particularly in this area. While this is the particular setting for Paul's teachings, there are general principles in all of this that are important for the whole Christian community. And this is signaled by a change in the personal pronouns from chapter 14 to 15, Paul moves from the singular you to the first person plural. And the change is also signaled by the example of Christ that is laid down before the strong in this passage, which is to be modeled by the whole church. And also, uh, or I should say, and so in verse 7, or in these first seven verses of chapter 15, we get a summary of Paul's heart. And therefore, our Lord's heart of how he would have us treat each other in the family, not only in the specific circumstance of 
our Christian liberty, but in our general attitude toward one another as the people of God. So again, I ask, what does it look like to be a community of hope? Well, first of all, it looks like living to please the other, living to please the other. Paul begins his encouragement by instructing the strong in the church to bear up the failings of the weak. The Greek word for bear up is the same one that is used in Galatians 6.2. Paul isn't saying bear with or put up with, but rather something more akin to carry, shoulder the weak brother or sister's perspective as it related to the issues addressed in chapter 14 around eating and drinking and esteeming days. In other words, they are not uh, being asked to adopt the weaker person's view, but to be considerate of it, not trampling on it or ignoring it and going on with their own practices in front of their weaker brothers as though their opinions do not matter. Instead, they are to show love, and in their discussions and interactions around these things, they are to seek the good of their brother or sister, to seek to build them up. The implication is to build them up in their faith, to seek the good of their brother's, brother or sister's faith being strengthened. Paul is saying then that it's not just their words that will do this, but their behavior. By not trampling on the other person's conscience, by doing what they know offends the other. Instead, they are to carry their brother or sister by dealing with them in the same way that Christ did in relation to the Father. The point here isn't that the Father was in a weak position. Rather, it is that Jesus took upon Himself the reproaches that were leveled at the Father. He took on the insults, the suffering, the condemnation leveled at Him by the ungodly, and He did it, the text says, to please the Father. And of course, captured in that is that what was done to please the Father was also done for our good. It was the Father's will that we be saved. If Jesus then carries reproach to please the Father for our good, how can we not do the same in our relationships in the body? This is the general principle undergirding this call. We should, all of us, be living in relationship with each other such that those of us who are in a strong position bear up those who are in weaker positions. We who are stronger. We who are stronger in terms of privilege, position, and power, and education, and economics, and so on, should bear up our brothers and sisters who are not, uh, uh, bear up our brothers and sisters, not treating them in a paternalistic manner, as if we gain that strong position through our own efforts, but rather recognizing that whatever strength we have, we have it by virtue of God's grace and by virtue of God's mercy. And we are also to do it recognizing that our strong position is not a matter of our greater worth or importance or value in the kingdom, but as our responsibility to steward what God has given us for the benefit of the whole body, that there might be unity and equality within the body. To whom much is given, much is required. Not to whom much is given, much is to be enjoyed. Let us remember we who are strong, 
what the Apostle Paul says in another place. In the very next letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This begs a question for us. Where are we in positions individually and corporately where we need to respond to this obligation to bear up those among us who are weak? Of course, you should know that this calling for those in a strong position to bear up those who are in a weak position extends to every area of our lives. Maybe God is calling you to do this personally in your role as a parent with your children to ask with each one of them, Lord, what does it look like for me to be humble and coming alongside my children to use my position as a parent to bear them up, to carry them, to shoulder them, to strengthen them where they are weak. For some of us, this will mean seeking forgiveness where we have hurt them, praying for them, reasoning with them when they are in rebellion, sacrificing our time and the agenda of our day for things that will be beneficial to them, that will build them up. Corporately, this means looking at our relationships in the body and asking whose voice is likely to be overlooked as we make decisions and do life together in the body. We often make the mistake in a multi-ethnic ministry, cross-cultural ministry, intercultural ministry of assuming that because we have diversity ethnically and socioeconomically and across all the other lines that everyone's voice is actually being heard. It's often the case that even in multi-ethnic ministry that some voices, because they are stronger and more established and more in number and more valued, are raised above others. In the church in Rome, that voice was represented by the Gentiles. They were in the majority. This is part of why Paul encourages them in Romans 11 not to do to the Jews the same thing that the Jews did to them. Don't marginalize their voice. They are equally a part of the movement of the kingdom as you are. So who is that for us in our body, in our community, in our neighborhood? whose voice functionally dominates the table and whose voice is marginalized, who's strong, who's weak? Can we honestly ask that question around, around here? Amen. We need to ask God to show us how to be better, show us who are strong, how to be more like our Lord in bearing up our brothers and sisters who are weak. Amen, people of God. So Paul talks about living to please the other. He also talks about living in patience, patient endurance with the other. If we want to be a community where hope flourishes and 
Where hope flourishes, the powerful among us, the strong among us must use our positions of strength to bear up the weak. Yet we must also, all of us, learn how to endure in our relationships with each other, how to be patient with each other. You, you know this doesn't work without a great deal of endurance and a great deal of encouragement in our relationships with each other. It takes endurance, it takes encouragement because we are all of us sinners. I got news for you. You woke up this morning, after you got through doing your hair and your makeup, and looked at yourself in the mirror and said, I'm ready. I look good. I'm ready to go. One thing was still true about you. You're a sinner in need of God's grace. Amen, people of God. The makeup doesn't cover it. The nice clothes don't cover it. You are still a sinner in need of the grace of God and still in need of the patience of God still in need of the kindness and loving forbearance of God. Don't let weariness be the thing that causes you to walk away from relationships with others. Ask God for a fresh anointing of His Spirit to love and endure and persevere. And look to the Scriptures wherein you will find that this endurance and encouragement is a central part of the story of God's love for His people. Paul says as much in verse 4 here, reminding us, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. When I've read that verse in the past, I've read it in a general way as encouragement to make sure I'm spending personal time in the Word. But in context, Paul is encouraging the reading of the Word because there we will find the story of God's relationship with His people. And what we will find in that story is the incredible patience of God as He deals with His broken people. The reason you find endurance and encouragement in the Scriptures is because you hear in them this love of God. It is a love that we are called upon to reflect to each other. That is why Paul writes in verse 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God who endures in His relationship with us the God we read about in the Scriptures grant us to live in the same way with each other that He might be praised among us and around us. That patience of God, which you are so grateful for being extended to you. How many of you all are thankful that God is patient with you and long-suffering with you and kind with you? That same patience and long-suffering that you receive you are meant to extend to others. Amen, people of God. This is the goal. So the call here is to not, to not give up on each other. We give up on each other at times, um, or I should say we want to give up on each other at times. The strong and the weak in the body of Christ rather than patiently bearing with each other, are tempted to wash their hands of each other. By the way, I should say here that the weak in this passage are probably the more religiously vigorous in this context, at least in the sense of their commitment to ceremony. And so they would see the actions of the strong as undisciplined, 
not serious. Thus they could soon weary of their stronger brother or sister's behavior over time. So Paul reminds both alike that the key to unity is the patient endurance and encouragement we learn from the Scriptures as we watch the strongest of all beings, the triune God, patiently bear up the weaknesses of His people. Amen, people of God. <laughs> Amen. I said, I said, amen, people of God. I was like, amen. <laughs> I know what you're saying in your heart. I don't want to be patient. <laughs> some, some, of y- <laughs> some of y'all think about people right now. <laughs> when I said that, as soon as I said it, those people popped in your head. You're like, surely he doesn't mean those folks. Lord, help us. But being a community where hope flourishes means we have to endure in our relationships with one another. And this is a call to those in the strong position and those in the weak position to hang in there with each other. And it's a call rooted not in our faithfulness, but in God's faithfulness. God hung in there with his people and hangs in there with his people until Christ is formed in us. And he's asking us by his spirit to do the same. Some of you, some of you are tired. Can we talk about it? Some of you are weary of other Christians. Somebody laughed when I said that. But some of you are weary of others. Some of you are tired of reconciliation. You don't want to hear another thing about being cross-cultural. Another thing about enduring with people who are not like you or who are from a different background, circumstance, culture than you. You just want to be done. You're ready to quit. But the Scriptures provide us with encouragement as we watch God patiently bear with stubborn, rebellious, refusing to do what's right people. Amen, people of God. So if we're going to hang in there, if we're going to hang in there with each other, we need to look to Christ and his patient work with us is our, our example. And this is part of why we are encouraged to look to the Word of God, because there we find the, story, the stories of this incredible patience and encouragement that comes from the Scriptures, which give us hope of what God can do. Amen, people of God. Amen. So living in, uh, living to please the other, living in patience with each other, Finally, Paul says at the end here in verse 7, living in acceptance of the other. Being a community where hope flourishes is rooted in those in a strong position bearing up with those who are weak. It means bearing with one another in patience and encouragement in our relationship. It also means accepting one another in the same way 
that we were accepted by Christ. Some of you all know what you were before Jesus found you. I'm going to put my notes down for a second. Some of you all know what, what, what you were like when Jesus found you. Some of you know how messed up you really were. Some of you know how, how deep the sin was in your life. Some of you know how stubborn you were, how rebellious you were, how off track you were. Some of you know what Romans 5 actually says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While, and even if you don't know, I'm going to tell you, you were jacked up. So while you were in that state, the Lord accepted you. While you were not doing what you were supposed to be doing, living like you were supposed to be living, saying the things you were supposed to be saying, you were received, welcomed into the family of God. You were accepted by Christ. I got, I got, can I help you? You weren't pretty, spiritually speaking. You were a mess, and yet the Lord saw you, and he said, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, come on, come on. And then you know how great it is? He didn't just say, come on. He adopted you. He put his name on you. He bound himself to you and says, that one is mine. That one belongs to me. It's a pretty simple principle here then, right? If you were welcomed in that way, by Christ, how are you to respond to each other? Before you look over at your brother or sister and say, you're jacked up, I don't want anything to do with you, just remind yourself. Jesus said, you're jacked up, come on. Right? Before you look at the other person and say, I don't want anything to do with you because you're a mess, just remind yourself. Jesus said, I want everything to do with you, even though you're a mess. Come on. We use this language in the church kind of passingly of brother and sister. You turn to each other on Sunday morning and you extend your hand and you say, good morning, brother. Good morning, sister. But you know what the term brother and sister means? Anybody? 
It means family. It means I belong to you. It means you belong to me. It means we're in the same family together. Yes, do I need to press you on when you're being messy? Yes, because that's love for you. Do you need to press me when I'm being messy? Yes, because that's love to me. But what I should never do is say, I don't want nothing to do with you. Rather, I should say the same thing that Jesus said to me. You're a mess, and I love you. In the family of God, accepted people ought to be accepting people. Let me say that again. In the family of God, accepted people ought to be accepting people. And while this applies specifically in this context of the strong and the weak, uh, there's also a general principle, as I just said, stated in verse 7. In other letters, Paul speaks of God's mission to the Gentiles to bring them into the family of God. And he would quote Old Testament passages the Jews would be familiar with to announce that in this new community under the, uh, under the lordship of Jesus, those who, those who did not belong now belong and are to be accepted and welcomed into the family. Do you want hope to flourish in the church? Then we have to learn to accept one another, strong and weak, and across every scripturally defined barrier. It's not enough to work for the strengthening of the poor or, into, or to endure and persevere with them. They must become your family. It's not enough to work for the strengthening of justice on behalf of racial and ethnic minorities and to persevere and endure with them. They must become your family. It's not enough to work for the strengthening of women in the use of their gifts in the church or to endure and persevere. They ought to become your family. Being a community of hope rests in this, that those who are weak are welcomed and accepted, and generally that those who are often considered the other because of culture or class or gender, race, are welcomed and accepted. It's only after Paul has made this plea for us to relate to one another in these ways that I just mentioned that he then says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You want to abound in hope? Live to please each other. You want to abound in hope? Live patiently with one another. You want to abound in hope? Live in acceptance and welcome of each other. Because then the God of hope will fill you will fill you with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Spirit, we may abound in hope. Amen, people of God. Being a community where hope flourishes means that we will be a community that is rooted in acceptance of one another. We use terms, like I said, brother and sister, a lot in the church. And well, we should because this is how God defines our relationship with each other in Christ. And this is, in fact, the primary way in which we are meant to see each other first and foremost. Before I am your pastor, I am your brother in the Lord. Amen. Before you are my deacon, you are my brother in the Lord. 
That doesn't mean that the lines of authority as a pastor or employer or deacon don't matter. They do. But how I treat you in all those relationships is to be dictated by what God calls me to in relationship with you as family. If I don't truly accept you as brother or sister, as part of my family, it will shape the way I treat you in all those relationships. Amen, people of God. At the root of oppression in our relationships is a refusal to accept each other. In the church, God defines that acceptance, tells us to treat each other first and foremost as family members because that is what we are. Amen. Amen. The hope that is to be found only in Jesus is a hope that gives shape to the way we treat each other as a community under the rule and reign of Jesus, who is our King. We are called, brothers and sisters, to a relationship with each other where those in the stronger position bear up the infirmities of the weak. We're called to a relationship where we learn to endure with one another in love, to be patient with each other. And we're called to a relationship of acceptance of one another as family across all the lines of division. This will result in great hope flourishing among us. It will bring great glory to God, our King. And that will be the testimony to the people in our neighborhood that the kingdom of God is worth joining. Amen, people. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would indeed make us this kind of community, this kind of church. We poke each other at times, Lord. We hurt each other. We create great pain for each other at times, Lord, through the things we say, the things we do. Um, I pray, Lord God, that when those things happen, you would teach us how to do exactly what Paul tells the strong and the weak in this passage to do, how to live to please the other, how to live in patience with each other, and how to live in acceptance. I pray, Lord God, that those things would flourish among us. I pray that you, Lord, would teach us how to respond to each other the way that you respond to us, and that you, by the power of your Spirit, would work among us to root out, Lord, those things that create disunity in the body. And I pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that as you shape us and form us and mold us into this kind of church, that you would indeed allow the nations, our community, to see what you are doing among us and to be drawn to the glory of your kingdom because there is no other kingdom other than the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So help us to reflect that in the way that we live. Help us to be an encouragement to other churches and our community um, in this way, Lord God. Help us to demonstrate not just New City, but your church throughout this city, what it means to be members of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.